Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled Justified, Justification Emphasized, presented by Pastor Jason Potter on May 26th, 2019. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor <laughs> Thank you. Did, uh, were the words showing through like the second side of it or something? Oh, okay. <laughs> As, as I, I didn't practice it with the light shining on it, so I thought maybe it was confusing. <laughs> well, my name is, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jason. I'm actually the youth pastor here at Sol Rio. Um, pastor Floyd is on a much-deserved vacation right now. He's with uh, his nieces in California with uh, Mickey and whatever other Disney characters are relevant these days. Um, so anyway, we pray for him and, and his uh, safe trip, and then he comes back refreshed and, uh, and uh, continues to be on fire for God as he leads this church. Um, with that being said, um, everybody is stuck with me for the next two weeks, and uh, I'm actually excited because uh, um, this is the, the first time that I've ever had the opportunity to, to give a sermon on two consecutive Sundays, so, so yeah, excited about that. Well, this morning, we're closing out a new series, or we're closing out a, uh, an old uh, current series before we start a new series, and that the series that we've been going through is called Justified, right? We've gone through the entire book of Galatians, and uh, we've gone through it pretty quickly, right? I think that, uh, well, I know that we've covered as much as two entire chapters, the content of two entire chapters in, in a single week, um, but this morning... We're going to slow it down quite a bit because we're only covering six verses today. So, uh, with that being said, if we get out of here a little bit early, then you'll know why. Uh, can start. Uh, but today's specific topic on justified is justified emphasized, right? So Paul kind of had this flow in, in terms of justification. He kind of had this flow as he was writing through the book of Galatians. He, uh, he explained it. He applied it. And then he emphasized it. So that's where we are today in the series, is we're on the, uh, the part where it's being emphasized. Right, but before we close in prayer today, uh, we're going uh, to have a moment of an invitation. But, so what do you think of when you hear the word invitation in relation to a sermon? Right, I think most people think of giving their lives to Christ, proclaiming Jesus as their Savior. Right, it's also called an altar call. Where, where people are called to the front and they make a public declaration that Jesus is their Savior. Um, well, Zach and myself and Pastor Ellen, uh, we just completed a pastoral class. And the instructor helped us to, to see that there are very, very many ways to conduct a time of invitation. Right? In one way or another, it's really just a call to action. So many times it is that call to declare Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's a very important one because you never know who's, who still needs to take that step and who's on the fence, and sometimes they just need that, uh, that invitation, right? And, and it's, it's biblical to come forward and make a public declaration in Christ. You know, sometimes it's a challenge to make changes in your life, and that, that's uh, Pastor Floyd's favorite way to do it. He loves to challenge us. He says, my challenge for you this morning, or, or this morning I want to challenge you, and then he, he calls us into some kind of action. Right? Those challenges can be many different things. It can be to get more involved. It can be to disciple others. It can be to spend more time with God, to grow in giving and generosity. Right? So whatever we, we call it, whether it's called an invitation, uh, a challenge, a call, whatever, right? to respond 
is to take a step in allowing, uh, to be allowing yourself to be transformed by the perfect grace of God. So today's invitation is going to ask you to reflect on whatever is holding you back from giving God your everything. Right? And then to make the decision to stop holding back. Because if God has declared us sinners as justified due to Jesus taking our place on the cross and satisfying God's wrath against sin, our sin, then what in the world is stopping us from giving Jesus everything in service to his kingdom? So I'm going to invite you to leave your chair and to come up here and to stand here as a declaration to God in front of our church family that you're going to battle everything that you can that is holding you back in, in, to you personally from serving God with everything. And we'll just stand together in unity as we ask Jesus to lead us in a way to serve him when, with everything that we are. Now those words that I that held up on the, the poster boards, right, those are the... Uh, the words from Galatians 6.11, which was written by, uh, by the Apostle Paul. And it simply said, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Right, so he was calling special attention to what was about to follow in a couple of different ways. Right, we know that the, the book of Galatians wasn't actually a book that was written by, by Paul, like, a, that like an author would write a book in today's world, right? But it was a letter to the Galatians church. And it's very unlikely that he wrote most of this letter with his own hands. It's very common in those days for the, the author to dictate to a scribe, and the scribe would be the one that would actually be writing it down on the, on the piece of paper. Right, so I, I just have this vision of him taking that pen telling a scribe to rest his hand or his, his wrist or whatever, and he takes over writing himself because it was very important to him to emphasize what he was about to say next. And then he also says, notice what large letters I use. Right, so that leads us to believe that on the letter itself that the, the letters of this sentence were significantly larger than the rest of the writing. So right, all of that, in other words, he was saying pay, pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. Right? Because it's important. Have you ever heard a pastor say at the end of a message, he says, if you take away one thing that I'm trying to tell you today, take this away. And then he goes on to say something important. Right? That's, I, I, I kind of always think, uh, uh, really, just one thing that you want me to take away from this message? Why don't you just start with that? We could have just got right to the point. Maybe spent... <laughs> Spend an extra 45 minutes in fellowship and worship and, and stuff like that, right? Um, but that's kind of what Paul is doing here, right? He's kind of doing the, the same thing. He authors this long letter, and as he gets to the end, he tells us, pay extra close attention to this, right? Don't miss what I'm about to say. And then in verse 12, he says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. All right, we've got to pause right here. Right, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. So forcing someone to be circumcised will make you look good in the eyes of others. All right, I've got a, a prop. These are medical scissors. Right, so what does that look like to force somebody 
All right, maybe that's an invitation for another day. Well, <laughs> actually, this pastoral class that Zach and I, I just took, um, they didn't actually teach us how to do, how to perform that, uh, that part of, of it. So, um, <laughs> yep. All right. So. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that had I been successful in forcing somebody to, into circumcision, uh, circumcision, that wasn't going to make me look good to any of you all, right? Now, uh, now granted, the, the, the word force in this, trans, the, in this translation is force. Chances are it was more likely coursed or strongly encouraged or pressured, heavily pressured, something like that. Either way, though, how that would make someone look good doesn't make sense in our modern-day culture. But it's important to understand that for them, it was largely about how they viewed justification, right? Because circumcision goes back to the Jewish law. And those who were opposing Paul's teachings about Jesus, right, they were still trying to sell this idea that we can be justified under our own, our own power, under our own works, by keeping this law that none of us are able to keep. Right, by our ability to keep the Old Testament law of God as, as they knew it before Jesus came and fulfilled that law and gave us a new covenant. Right, so the full verse says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Right, so even in the modern Christian church, we have to be very careful about falling into a similar mindset. I've heard another pastor call it grace amnesia. He said we all have grace amnesia, right, meaning that we seem to quickly forget how it's by the grace of God that we were saved in the first place. So why are we trying to use our works to justify that saving? Right, he counts us as righteous. And we know theologically that we can't be justified by our own works. Right, we get that in, in a theological level, that confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the only way to be justified by God. But in practice, we sure do seem to try. Right, not by the means of circumcision, thankfully. But, woo, but, <laughs> but what's another way the churches might try to, uh, to earn some boasting rights? Right, tracking professions of faith, baptisms. I've heard a, church, I heard a youth pastor at this event we went to a few years ago that, uh, that was tracking the number of people that he led to Christ and boast about it in a sermon. Like literally, he was, I don't like to call out other pastors or, or talk, uh, you know, I don't want to be negative about other pastors, but he was literally boasting about the number of people that he's left to, led to Christ in a message, in a sermon. And some big churches uh, are always finding ways to talk about the, the large number of baptisms that they've, uh, that they've conducted. Now, these are great things, right? We ought to be excited about leading people to Christ. In fact, that should bring us more joy than almost anything else that we can think of, right? To get to, 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 to be a part of something that God is doing, which is going to lead to somebody's uh, eternal salvation, Right? That's exciting. And we should celebrate with every baptism that we share in. That's a, a reason to come together and celebrate as a church family. 
right? But we cannot risk the authenticity just for the sake of numbers, for boasting. Because what really is a profession of faith in Christ if one leaves with no intention to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus? Right? And what is a baptism really symbolizing if the person who is getting baptism or baptized is doing so because of pressure from other people? Right? So it's important to be aware that we don't fall into the, this trap of just chasing numbers for reasons to, to boast. And I honestly don't think that's very different from what Paul is talking about here. Right? He's talking about those who wanted people to be circumcised just so they can boast about it. I always appreciated how Pastor Dan approached baptism to me personally. Right? Way before I ever was on staff here. For those of you who don't know Dan, he was the founding pastor here at Sol Rio. And uh, yeah, I could probably spend 15 minutes talking about my baptism testimony, if that's a such thing. Um, but it was a journey for me. Right? It really was. And uh, if anybody really wants me to, to share it, I'll be happy to one day. Um, but, the, uh, but Dan's role in it was that he did a wonderful job of teaching me about baptism, but he never, ever pressured me. Right? He wanted that for me. and He made it clear that he, he desired to see me take that step. But I never felt pressured. I never felt, uh, f- felt forced in any way. He was patient with me, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to truly convict me so that in God's perfect timing, it was, very authentic, it was a very authentic moment for me and my whole entire family. Right? And although that day Sol Rio added five baptisms to one, or added five baptisms to the numbers, it never crossed into a time of boasting. So now, years later, I can boast about their non-boasting. And that, that kind of leads us to, brings us to what Paul is saying in the next verse, in verse 14, because he says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. So you see where he's going with this? It sounds like to me that Paul is proclaiming a moment where he made a personal decision to stop holding back. And he said that this interest in the world has been crucified. His interest in this world has been crucified. His commitment to God's kingdom is in full force. Now remember, this is still part of this pay special attention to this part of the letter. Right? This is... This is kind of where, where the, the climax that he's building in, up to through this whole entire letter. And he goes on to say, it doesn't matter whether, or whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So here's Paul's big takeaway. It doesn't matter if we understand what it means to be justified if we leave it there at just head knowledge. It's just a a theological thing that we comprehend. It's not meant to be left there. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And this is something that should reside in the heart of every believer. Right? Because of the cross, you have been transformed into a new creation. Because of the cross, we have been justified in the eyes of our God. 
We are the new people of God. So what is holding you back from crucifying your interest in the world and giving your very best to the kingdom of God? Not so that you can earn justification. Right? Justification is a one-time thing done by God when he declares you as righteous. Giving our best to God isn't so that we can be justified. It's a response to that very thing that allows God to sanctify us. To transform us into his new creation. So how can God declare us justified? Right? Because Jesus was our substitute on that cross, paying the brutal consequence for our sins on our behalf. God counted that punishment as payment for our sins. Justice was upheld. We get out of the punishment as Jesus' free gift to us. All we have to do is accept that gift. Once we do, God sees the perfection of Jesus when he sees us, and he declares us as justified. And when we stop holding back, and when we respond, we use our free will to give God our all, he will spend the rest of our days on earth sanctifying us. Sanctification is the continual process of being made more holy, more like Jesus. Sanctification is a continual act of grace through faith. Justification is that one-time event that God declared us righteous through Christ Jesus. Sanctification is an ongoing process of God molding us to be more like his son because of the finished work on the Christ by the finished work of Christ on the cross. Have you ever heard somebody say something like uh, you can't judge me, only God can judge me? I always think yikes. Do you really know what you're saying right there? And now whether they're a Christian or not, most of the time, somebody's feeling convicted because of some kind of a, a sin that they have in their life if they're going to respond like that. Right? Somebody's calling them out, pointing something out to them that makes them feel uncomfortable, and they get defensive. And they're like, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Right? I think we've all seen that. TV, show, TV shows, talk shows, all that kind of stuff. People are always worried about being judged by other people. Right? But regardless of what the, the reason is, Right? I don't ever want to challenge God to judge me like that because his judgments are no slap on the wrist. From Genesis all the way to Revela uh, Revelation, the Bible is full of examples of God's judgment. And I want no part of that. Right? I do not want God to judge me. I want God to judge the perfect Jesus that he sees when he looks at me. And thanks be to the grace of God, that's exactly what he offers so what is holding you back? And God never fails to amaze me on how he puts things right in front of my face at the perfect time. Uh, less than a couple weeks ago, I was laying down and I was really feeling convicted that I need to have my eyes open, my heart uh, open to how he wants me to start preparing for this very sermon. Right? And as I opened up a devotional, I was actually praying for him to, to, to start showing me because I was starting to get a little, little bit nervous and a little bit uh, afraid that I was, I was procrastinating and, that, and, and you know, all the, the insecurities that come to, to somebody with the, not a lot of experience, maybe people with a lot of experience, um, started creeping in. 
So I opened up this devotional and I read the words from a different Paul. Now this is Paul, uh, Pastor Paul Tripp. And I'm actually just going to read it. I was going to summarize it. And then I, I, as I was reading it, every word in here is too critical to leave anything out. So I'm just going to read it exactly from, from what I read that morning. It says, never forget what God required you couldn't do. Christ did it for you. His grace is your hope. In some way, it's true of all of us. We want to swindle ourselves into thinking that we are righteous enough to be accepted in the eyes of God. Maybe for you, it's look how much I give to charity. Look how hospitable I am. Look at the level of my theological knowledge. Look at how often I share the gospel with others. Look what a good marriage I have. Look how successful my business is. Look how I've, re how I've resisted pornography or adultery. Look at the fact that I homeschool my children. Look at how I never curse or swear. Look how many short-term mission trips I've been on. Look how consistent my personal devotions are. Look at my willingness to lead a small group. You and I tend to want to point to anything we can to prove that we are not lawbreakers, but law keepers. Yet the whole argument of the Bible is that if we were able to keep the law with perfection and consistency, Jesus would not have had to come. The sad reality is that alone, none of us is righteous. None of us measures up. None of us has any power whatsoever to keep the law so consistently as to achieve acceptance by a completely holy God. So it was essential that Jesus would come and live in a way that none of us could ever live, to die the death that we all deserve to die, and to rise, defeating sin and death. Hope is never to be found in your performance, no matter what actions you are able to point to. Sin is your infection. And without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is also your demise. It is inescapable and morally debilitating, and it will lead to your death. So abandon hope in your own righteousness. Abandon the delusion that somehow you can measure up. Run to the place where hope can be found and throw yourself again into the grace of Jesus. He did what you could never do so that you would be welcomed into the arms of a righteous God and fully be accepted, even though, in reality, you are anything but righteous. How can God accept you and not compromise his own righteousness? He can do this because Christ's righteousness righteousness has been credited to your moral account. Now that is amazing grace. So here is that time of invitation. All right, what is holding you back? You want to know what's holding me back? Well, so do I, because I honestly don't know. <laughs> right, but I do know but far too often I find myself giving in to fear and doubt over God's will and his promises. And I accept that I don't know exactly what it looks like to stop holding back. But I'm ready to pray out to God and ask him to show me. Ask him to reveal his will in his perfect timing and what that means. To ask him to accept my offer my efforts to stop holding back and to ask him to remind me of his ongoing perfect grace each and every time I fall short. So if that's where you are yourself, 
If you're ready to call out to God and to ask him to show you what it means to personally stop holding you back, then I invite you to come up on the stage and to, to stand in unity while we pray about that. To ask him to show you personally how to stop holding back. I haven't written down a, a scripted or a special prayer for this moment. I'm not going to put a microphone in front of anybody's face and ask them to, to pray out uh, in front of the church. It's just an opportunity to stand together, admit our struggles to one another, bow our heads, and ask the Holy Spirit to move us in this moment. Let's declare to our God that we are ready to be the children that he created us to be. If you're not able to join us up here, the invitation still stands. Well, never mind. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we give you all the grace and all the glory for willing to, being willing to take that punishment so that we can be counted as justified by our Father. Lord, we, we ask that you accept our efforts and that you that you accept our, our attempts to, to be the person that you created us to be, Lord. And Lord, we desire more than anything to stop holding back, to fight against whatever it is that might be keeping us from giving you our everything. Lord, and for us, whatever it is personally, knowing that we're all in different spots, we all have different uh, ways that the enemy likes to attack us, Lord, that you're going to personalize this and help us and show us a way that means something personally to us so that we can just declare to you that we are yours and we want to be yours forever. And we thank you that your grace and your, the perfection of Jesus allows us that opportunity. Lord, thank you for this moment. And we just want to stand behind you, stand before you, with this heart of gratitude, Lord. And as a church, we declare that we are your servants, that we are yours, and we, we desire to spend all of eternity in your presence, serving you the way that we were created to. And we thank you for everything you put in our lives, Lord, every moment of grace. And we make these declarations, and we thank you in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-792. 8737 or email us at info at soul at soul rio we're a community of followers of jesus christ committed to live by faith 
to be known by love and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.